Well, good morning again, everybody. Glad to see you here. Hope you had a good week. And if you're a football fan, hopefully your team won yesterday. Um, as ugly as it may have been. But, you know, uh, as we began, begin this morning, I just wanted to share one small thing about myself with you all. Uh, for those of you who know me well, you would know that I can and do at times have a very critical spirit. One where I would pick out the failings in something, like I would see the one error in a canvas of beauty or something like that. And it's something at times that hinders relationships that I have just because that's what I point out. Um, but other times, you know, I'm able to see details that others miss. I'm able to see those deeper trees within a forest to show um, the, the details behind things. You know, I've always said that I have an attention to detail. It's one of my strong suits. But I'm also a guy, and I have that wonderful spiritual gift of selective hearing. So Elaine would be one of those to doubt sometimes whether or not I truly had this attention to detail that I claimed to have. But in reality, we both had some good attention to detail, just in different areas. She would always remember somebody's eye color, what they were struggling with, what book they needed to read and what chapter, because she knew them so well. Whereas I would remember what the room looked like, what the kids were doing, how many books on the bookshelf were turned the opposite way. And I would pick up on different things that were said that I could use in sermon material or carry on as a long-running joke. I always loved to do those types of things. You know, details can be fun. And we each have that ability to see things a little bit differently in the details, depending on how God is revealing things to us. And this morning, as we continue our look at what the early church was to be about, we're going to continue in this group of passages from Paul that reflect on how we are to think about others over ourselves. And we're going to look into the details behind that. Last week, we talked about how we were to do this in regards to our freedoms and liberties. This week, it's going to be in view of humility. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Beginning in verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to the interests, to, sorry, let each of you not look to not let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds this morning as we dive into your word. Help us to see clearly uh, your truths. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, for those of you who were here at the beginning of my journey starting here, you will recall Philippians was the first book that I walked through. It's a fun little book. It's rich in theology and rich in a lot of different things. And through that series, I had given a lot of different homework assignments. The first one, of course, being read through the entire book of Philippians each week as we're going through so you can be familiar with what Paul uh, is trying to say, what he's getting across to the people. I had other assignments such as writing letters to those who had impacted your life spiritually to encourage them, um, to let them know how you're doing. Uh, And, you know, as I continue to make these applications in such a way to challenge you to move in your faith, to make your faith practical, I would say that I'm still doing the same things in that regard in terms of giving homework assignments or giving that type of an application. And today as we look at this passage, there are a few ways that we can look at it. I mean, there's a lot of different points within these 11 verses that we can focus on. And I understand that where you may be is where the Spirit has you. And if you get focused on something that's not the main focus of what I'm going to talk about, go with that. Go with what the Spirit's leading you. Today, I'm going to focus in on verse 4. And we're going to work around that verse because, again, this is a rich chapter. And in verse 4, he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, this is kind of the theme that we're talking about in these three messages. We talked about this mentality last week in terms of our freedoms, in terms of the liberties that we have in Christ, and this week our focus is going to be on humility. Now, I feel like I'm pretty qualified to speak on this subject because if there is one thing that I'm better at than anybody else, it's my humility. You know, it's, humility is one of those things, as soon as you start talking about it and how humble you are, you almost immediately disqualify yourselves. But you know, in this setting, it's more instructional. So it's more expected or it's more right to speak about it. And there's many examples of humility in our life. There's many examples of humility in the Bible. Paul gives the example of humility in Christ in the latter part of our passage today. Hopefully you can point to different times in your life where you were humbled as well. Uh, One of my favorites from history is between George Whitefield and his connection to John Wesley. And I've shared this in the past. But you know, George Whitefield and John Wesley were big people in in the awakening eras. But they were also on the opposite ends of some of these spectrums that we've been talking about. Where they had deep theological differences, disagreements, arguments. But George Whitefield was very careful to not create problems in public that could be used to hinder the preaching of the gospel message. 
And when someone asked him if he thought he would see Wesley in heaven, this was Whitefield's response. I fear not, for he will be so near the eternal throne and we at such a distance, we shall hardly get sight of him. And you know, I've always loved that quote. Because you think about people that might be on the opposite ends of a spectrum from you. What are your thoughts about them? Do you even acknowledge their faith half the time? Do you think that they're Christians? What type of humility is it to to speak so richly of somebody on an opposing spectrum? Humility in our faith can be tricky. From verse 4 today, I want to work backwards. So look up to verse 3, where it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So we see this connection that he is making to humility here, and he's tying it into how we view others. Now this would also be a direct reference to people that he is struggling against within the church, people that are struggling against how he's preaching the gospel. Uh, He makes reference to these people um, who are preaching the gospel in vain conceit or in selfish ambition back in chapter 1. If you want to look back in chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So he's speaking against this type of selfish ambition, um, trying to convince the people about how to be humble in their walks, in their faith. And you know, history within the church is full of different churches, different movements, different people, not just pastors, but people within the body who want to elevate themselves or their ministries over Jesus, over other things, um, to make church life all about themselves. That's dangerous, and that's an error. Sometimes it can happen without us even knowing about it where we can put people or ministries or objects on pedestals. And we could be praising those things rather than Christ. We've talked about this before, but in the American mindset especially, uh, you can find many churches that are very pastor-centric, where the rise and the fall of a church or its ministry can swing based on who's in the pulpit. Ministries can crumble or they can crash and burn if it's built around a person other than Jesus. What happens when that person leaves? You know, people can put pastors, they can put other individuals, they can put worship teams up on a pedestal. They can go for that glory and that fame. And those people that are on the pedestal can get used to it. They live off of that affirmation, that validation, that high, that, that, that excitement. Again, it can be dangerous. Now, obviously, I don't want that as a goal for this church. I do have a few guys here that I know will lovingly and jokingly put me in my place to let me know I'm not all that I think that I might be. And I appreciate that. Because we don't want to take ourselves so seriously. Because Jesus is the one that's the big deal. He's the one that we need to take seriously. 
You know, and we also have to understand that in our hearts and our minds, we have different expectations for church. And how at times, uh, we can build others up in our minds. It happens. You know, you think about a, a relationship that the pastor has with the body. We live life together. We mourn together. We rejoice together. We grow in the word together. And a lot of times people can put that emphasis on a pastor to think, you are my connection to Christ, rather than just having the connection with Christ. We need to be careful if the focal point of our faith or of church becomes anything other than Jesus. Because there are times when a pastor will leave a church. And that happens for various reasons. For me, I've had to say goodbye to two churches, as the Lord had called me elsewhere. And Friday will be three years already since Elaine's passing. And I've been very open with all of you on this journey where there have been hard times, things that I've had to wrestle through in my own personal walk, in my calling, seriously questioning whether or not I can continue do, doing this physically, emotionally, spiritually. Wondering if God is still calling me to be here. And through times of prayer and reflection, a few conversations with some godly men, the Lord has not called me away from here. He has told me to continue to serve. And you know, even as I bring this subject up, it's touchy. Maybe you had a little bit of panic or apprehension set in your hearts. Is he going to leave? Is he announcing that right now? <laughs> I know you love me. I'm a lovable guy. Thank you, Tanya. <laughs> but I never want to be put on a pedestal. I rarely want to be behind this podium because I don't think I have worthwhile things to say. But I understand how God can use me through the weaknesses. I understand how God has put this calling in my life, and I say, yes, here I am. I'm ready to go. And I serve him in my weaknesses. I've been very open. I'm such an introvert. To be up here speaking in front of you takes a lot each week. But God gets the glory. When pastors love to be up here, it can be for good reasons, because of their love for Jesus, because they have a desire for the word. 
But sometimes pastors get up here because they love to hear themselves speak. They have something to say, and you better listen. You know, I've got lots of wisdom in a lot of different areas. Some I don't want to have wisdom in. But I pray as a congregation, you're able to discern and take what I say, what's from me, with a grain of salt to discern what God is showing you through the word. That shows growth, that shows maturity. Because I am just somebody who is called to be here as a shepherd for a season. You know, and it's from this type of context of, of speaking about other preachers, other people that are coming in with selfish ambition that Paul is, is talking to these people to live their life in humility, not in selfishness. In humility, you are to think of others over yourselves. Because if you think of others over yourselves, you're not going to make the same errors that these other preachers were doing. Because that's what we're going to hear in the world. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Take care of yourself. Make sure you get yours because nobody's going to give it to you. That's what the culture would be saying. And here comes Paul proclaiming Christ who is countercultural, saying, no, 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 no. Think of others over yourself. Be a servant to others because that's what Christ did for you. It would be a completely different mindset than what's going on in the world. To be humble, to be a servant. Looking at verse 2. You know, he says in that verse, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So having a mind that's humble, having a mind that's full of love, that will look to others. You know, love looks to the needs of others. It's set in our hearts by God, and it's a love that requires submission to him. It's been said it's been said that love begins when someone else's needs are more important than my own. Is that the way that we look at our marriages? At the relationships that we have with our children, with other church members, with random people on the street? Maybe sometimes, yeah. But oftentimes you would also find your own pride and selfishness creeping back in seeing things as being unfair, seeing things in ways of how come they always get everything that they want, when am I going to catch a break? Where are these freedoms and liberties that we talked about last week? You then begin to have these seeds of bitterness or jealousy take root in your heart. But Paul is saying for the church to be of one mind to be humble, to have a mind of love. And then we go back up to verse 1, and we see how Paul is starting off this chapter with four conditional phrases that talk about oneness, that talk about submission to Christ and how we are to respond in humility. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort in from love, if there's any participation 
in the Spirit, if there is any affection and sympathy for rhetorical type of questions that are being asked because, of course, there are these things in Christ. Or if we're dwelling on our position in Christ and what he's done for us, then thinking about that can give us encouragement. We can find comfort in the agape love of God. There's this participation, this koinonia in the spirit, the fellowship in the spirit. There's compassion. There's mercy. If we understand that that is found in Christ, then we can be in the same mind, united in Christ's love, showing humility to one another. Where this humbleness is flowing out of who we are in Christ rather than in our own power. You know, if it's in our own power, there's probably going to be ulterior motives. You ever get that suspicious feeling when someone's nice to you? Why are you being nice to me? What do you want? What did you break? What did you do? Whereas if this humility comes out of Christ, it then gives you an opportunity to share the gospel message. To respond, having an answer ready, you know, as Peter tells us, why are you doing these things? I'm doing these things because the love of Christ blessed me. I have been so blessed richly, and I just want to bless you. I want to share the love of Christ with you today. It takes down walls. It takes down barriers. When you show your humility based off of Christ, not ulterior motives. Paul's teaching that the popular idea in culture is to think of yourself. It's it's an opinion that goes all the way back to the fall and Adam and Eve and how they want to be like God. The people in Paul's day, they're not viewing humility as a virtue any more than people today will view humility as a virtue. But he's also not being unrealistic. You know, remember last week we talked about the people-pleaser mentality a little bit. But looking back in verse 4, Paul says, look not only to your own interests. So it's okay to have interests. It's okay to have an opinion or a thought of your own. But the point that he's making is that we should view others as being worthy of more consideration than we give ourselves. You know, think of Romans 12, verse 10, where it says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. You know, humility, it's not this scene of two people getting to the door at the same time, one person holding the door saying, after you, and then the other person, no, after you, I insist, after you. That's not humility. You know, humility is also about being able to accept what the Lord gives, being able to accept from other people different blessings, and we've talked about that in the past. That's a hard mindset to overcome, to be humble enough to accept help, to accept blessing. And, you know, it's within this teaching on humility that Paul then gives this example of Christ in the Christ hymn, verses 5 through 11. It's something that is um, very deep theologically to, in, a, in a way that tries to understand the person of Jesus. Jesus is our model. He's our, our example in all things. And Paul really dives a little bit deeper. So it's kind of... Uh, read through this a little bit and give some annotations. Beginning in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves. So connect that right away back up to verse 2 when Paul's talking about how we are to all have the same mind. 
So have this mind, one of humility, one that is in Christ, uh, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality a thing, or equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now as I was uh, writing this sermon and as I was reading this this week, I was listening to some old, older music, we'll just put it that way, um, and some of songs I haven't listened to in a while came up, and one of the songs has this lyric. They said, once I hold on, I won't let go until it bleeds. You know, I picture that with the grasping here, holding so tightly to something, not wanting to let go that your hands bleed. What is it in life that I am holding on to? that I am grasping so intently of my own interests? Is it your work? Is it your possessions? The relationships you have? Perhaps with your kids or a spouse? What do we grasp onto more than Christ? Christ is the example. He had everything and he doesn't grasp. He lets it go. You know, we should be holding on to Christ with all that we have because he is the one who for my sake gave up equality with God to take on the form of a servant. He is the one who for my sake emptied himself and made himself nothing. He laid down his freedoms. He laid down his liberties in humility in order to put on the form of man. He is the example. And he gives us a picture of what it means to be humbly obedient. To be obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And as I was... Reading over this passage this week, I also thought of Isaac and Abraham. Genesis 22, famous story of the sacrifice of Isaac. And there's so many things within that that you read in between the lines. And you can put yourself in that situation. You see, Isaac, he's not a toddler. He's not a little boy. In the Hebrew, it uses the same term, young man, as is used for the servants that go with them carrying everything. And Isaac obeys his father to the point of being placed on the altar. You know, in this chapter, we always focus on the line of, now I know you fear God. Yea, Abraham. Great faith, Abraham. What about Isaac? Isaac, who sees the knife raised above him, ready to come down from his own father's hand. Being still, being obedient, not trying to roll off the altar, not trying to save his own life, but trusting what his father said, the Lord would provide a sacrifice. What if that sacrifice is you? Because here's Jesus. In a similar fashion, 
being placed on the cross as a sacrifice. Watching the wrath of God being poured down upon him, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humility in its greatest form. Right? This is how we know what love is, to where one would lay his life down for another. How much more humility can you have where you're throwing away your freedoms, you're throwing away your liberties, you're throwing away your own life for the sake of another? It's a different mindset. As you think about that, are you prepared to die for other people? Probably definitely yes for a few. Maybe for some others, depending on the situation and what's going on. Probably no for strangers or people that you haven't met or don't have a strong connection with. But laying your life down as a supreme act of love is something that we're called to have in terms of a mindset, in terms of counting the cost of what it means to follow him. Another interesting thought that I had this week, I have to be careful with these interesting thoughts, but I heard this a lot from people. I wish I could trade the places of Elaine. It's a good sentiment. You know, and this came from the much older crowd who'd already lived their life, recognizing Elaine was so young and she's got four young kids. She's got a lot left to live for. I've lived my life. I would gladly trade with Elaine. I think those thoughts can be natural as we get older. But what if it was the other way around? Young people pay attention. Would you trade your life for a grandparent? If they would let you. You know, if you're walking down the street and there's this car barreling down toward both of you, and would you push them out of the way so that they could live? It's not a normal way to think. But as we understand the sacrifice of Christ, do we live in a way that expresses his grace in everything we're doing? Not restricted by cultural norms, not restricted by age. But if you say that you're a believer, even at the age of five, are you ready to lay your life down for Christ? Parents, are we ready to say to our children, I'm okay with you going overseas, possibly being a martyr for Christ? Or are we grasping so tightly, not wanting anything to happen to our children? Remember, Christ is the one that we are to cling to. And if God calls them to another region, to another part of the world, to somewhere that is dangerous, 
Do we trust the Lord? You know, when you dwell on this humility that's exemplified by Christ, you can see how he is exalted at the end. You know, our response, when you truly understand the state that you're in before Christ, as a sinner separated from God, eternally separated, destined for hell, and then you see this love that is poured out for us on the cross, what he had to go through, the state of humility that he was in, the sacrifice that he had to pay in order to pay for my sins. You can only stare in awe and wonder at the love that Christ has. You can't be witty or sarcastic or joke about that. You can only end up on your knees confessing and proclaiming my Lord and my God, my Savior. He is the model that we live for. You know, when Abraham hears from God in chapter 22 of Genesis, he says, here I am. In three different places in that chapter, that's how he responds, here I am. You think of Isaiah in the throne room of God and and God just pouring out how the people of God need to hear this, but there's nobody to go. And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, please send me. When you understand the nature of Christ and what he went through on the cross for you, when you understand that forgiveness, when you understand that grace, you're able to see the people around you living in conceitedness, living in selfish ambition, living for themselves in their own power, lost. Utterly lost. Do we have the humility to throw off our freedoms, to throw off our liberties, to throw off our comforts as Christians in America to say, here I am, Lord. You have blessed me so richly. You have given me so much in your grace, in your love, and in your mercy. Send me. You have put these people in my life for such a time as this. Give me that opportunity to humbly proclaim your love so that they might know. Do we have enough humility to give other people five minutes? Are we stuck in our own ways? Are we grasping to the things of this world? Because like it or not, sometimes those things just get taken. They get ripped from your hands and you're just left looking at the blood. But you have to understand when we cling to Christ, it's his blood that's on our hands. It's his blood that covers us so that our relationship with God is restored. That's what pushes us. That's what motivates us to be humble. That's what helps us to become servants to those around us that need to hear his truth because they are utterly lost and dying without him. The purpose of humility is to not get a trophy for being the best at it. The purpose of humility is to lay down our lives, our freedoms and our liberties for those around us so that they may know the love of God. And I pray that you can answer that call today. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we read over 
such deep passages. There's so many things that can be taught from this. I praise you that you have given us the picture of humility in your son, Jesus, of what it means to lay down our lives, to count the costs and come follow you, to lay down our livelihood, to come follow you wherever you say to go. Lord, I pray, even in my own heart, that my first response would not be complaining and grumbling, but instead, here I am. Lord, what a joy it is to serve you. What a joy it is to know you. And I pray, Lord, that I can share that joy with others. Lord, give me the eyes to see people the way that you do. Give me the heart that runs hard after them, understanding this race that you have set before me. Lord, we might trip and we might stumble from time to time, but you give us the strength to get back up. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love and your comfort. We thank you for each other as we can come alongside and encourage and support. I thank you for the opportunity to shepherd this body. And Lord, may, may we glorify you above anything else because you are worthy, you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.